Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 41. So here we are on episode number 41. This is the uh, our first real episode of uh, 2016. And today we are going to be talking about The Hateful Eight and Star Wars, uh, The Force Awakens. <laughs> so uh, how is your guys' New Year's going? How's your new year going? This is, this is Nick. Um, so far, so good. Uh, no complaints. It's been... Yeah, I got, I got, I got, I got nothing, man. Everything's going well. I'm seven, almost seven of the eight Oscar films down, uh, and uh, looking forward to discussing with uh, you lads the the Oscars and uh, our upcoming Oscar omnibus. <laughs> and um, uh, but other than that, uh, everything's you know, I, copacetic, status quo, all is good. What about you, Chris? Things are things are going well. Uh, classes just started this um, week or yesterday, actually, at Westfield State. So um, we're in that uh, first week scramble of drop ads and all those other sure crazy crazy things. But in that, you know, things are things are going uh, things are going all right. Um, Nick, you are you are way ahead of me on uh, the the Oscar films, but I will be catching up uh, probably this weekend. And um, other than that doing mighty fine mighty fine mighty good mighty fine fine. yeah same here i guess we usually start this podcast by saying i'm eric marshall (laughs) and i'm nick schlegel and i am christopher gullen (laughs) see i'm rusty um yeah as far as me the new year has been going just fine um yeah we're in the third week of classes i think and uh i'm you know kind of keeping up keeping sharp so yeah, things are things are good. Nothing uh nothing to report really uh in terms of in terms of news. I am looking forward to this year. I think that we're going to um I think we're going to have a good year here at that Sarap. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about and uh you know, have a fairly regular schedule and it's going to be it's going to be nice. It's going to be cool. Agreed. Absolutely. I'm working on getting a couple of um uh celebrities on the show um and we'll say more about that when it's proper time to do that but i can talk to you guys about it you know off yeah. off the record sounds yeah, good leonardo dicaprio contacted me <laughs> wanted to come on but i told him we didn't really have time for him i figured we couldn't fit him in the schedule so busy too busy no we're too busy for that you know well but, i thought um, he'd be he'd be you know kind of sweating bullets because uh you know he's waiting to see if he's gonna get his oscar oscar yeah he just wanted to come on and grunt. He just wanted to come on and be like, rrr, rrr, ah. <laughs> that's a measure of probably how well, you know, how well he grunts is going to be a measure of whether or not he gets the Oscar. Right. He, he right. grunted good. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be talking about the Revenant, uh, at a later, at a later date for sure. Uh, hey, if, uh, you guys want to, if anyone wants to follow us on Twitter, we're at, uh, rap podcast. If you want to follow us on Facebook, you can find us there. And uh, you can find the show notes for this and any other episode at that's a rap show dot com. 
So in case you need to find links to what we're talking about, summaries or uh, previous episodes, then you can also, of course, find us on iTunes and all the other good stuff. So I did have one addendum, Eric, if that's okay, before we sort of move into yeah, yeah. principal photography. Uh, in, the, in the interim here, uh, between our last podcast and this one, our good friend and sometimes collaborator, Mike White and his projection booth, you know, one of the most brilliant podcasts on the internet, truly. Um, I, I co-hosted on that, the uh, Death Game um, Knock Knock episode. And I mentioned this on a previous podcast, but now it's out. Uh, and that's the difference. And I have to say, um, I, I I've, was so honored to be a part of that. It turned out to be it's a three-hour podcast, and it's real film history. And you know? I mean, we're just uh, it, the the people we got for this is extraordinary, including Miss Sandra Locke. You know, and and Sandra has you know she's not exactly in the public eyes and, anymore. She's somewhat retired from show business and and is perfectly happy with her life. And so so to get her uh, was an extraordinary coup. Um, and it's a really outstanding interview with her. And, and then I've had some correspondence with her as well, which is a, you know, kind of a dream come true. <laughs> so I just, I just wanted to say that that's, uh, that's something that, that happened very recently that I'm, I'm really, really proud to be a part of. And then I'll be on another uh, episode where we're going to do Valerie in her week of wonders, which is a show, a movie that we've talked about here on, on that's a wrap. And so, um, I'll keep listeners updated for that one when that one's going to drop. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, uh, I am in awe of what Mike does and they do over there at, at the projection booth. I mean, he is releasing on a couple, two, three a week, I think if I'm not mistaken, and the, the topics he has, the, the movies that he talks about over there that they talk about over there. Absolutely amazing. It's, it's a, total gem if people don't know it the projection booth there there's uh, something else of, of Mike's course an incredible to be interviewer and his reputation helps to continue to get him the types of you know celebrities stars actors directors composers whomever it may be uh, that he needs to get and he gets a great example is uh, a recent one that we've talked about on the show is you know we would have loved to have tried we tried to get paul schrader on our on our show for um the canyons and Mike had been after Schrader for quite a while, but he just rope doped him, you know, and, fi- and finally Schrader said, oh, all right. So, you know, he, he got Schrader. <laughs> and that's, be- you know, partly that's because Mike has this this long Rolodex of basically um, uh, both like metaphorically and and in reality. He's got, a you know, he has contacts to get in touch with people, but he also, the show itself is his reference sheet. You know, uh, yeah. people can look at it and see, Oh, well, William Friedkin was on here. Peter Bogdanovich was on here. You know, like they can see that this is not just um, a kid in his garage, a seventh grader doing a podcast or something. Right. Yeah. He interviewed yeah. Ascot Man himself, Peter Bogdanovich? Bogdanovich? Yes. Oh, yeah. No shit. Yes, he Pretty did. Crazy. Yeah. So it's the real deal over there at the projection booth. But we're no slouches here either. So oh, don't kid yourself, Judge. You're, keep, you're, you're keep a tremendous slouch. Tremendous. <laughs> nice. All right, you guys ready? Yes. All right. Let's move into principal photography. Welcome to segment one of principal photography. We're going to discuss Quentin Tarantino's eighth feature film, The Hateful Eight. 
Uh, we all saw the movie, I think, over the holiday break. Right. Yep. And uh, here we are getting ready to talk about it. Talk about it. Uh, what did you, Chris? I think you saw it in, I think both of you guys saw it in the theater. Is that correct? Yeah. Just Chris. Yeah. Okay. I did not. I saw it um, by other means. So maybe you guys could talk about the theatrical experience. Well, Nick, did you see it in 70 millimeter? Yes. Okay. I'll, I will, I will defer to you on this one since you are uh, more of a film historian than I am. No, I'd like to get your response first. And then I, you know, oh. we already talked, I think about like, there was something I wanted to mention about it, but like, right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. but yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, well, I, I had heard about it, um, that it was going to be in 70 millimeter in select cities. So I went and saw it in Providence, Rhode Island, which was, uh, easier to get to for me than uh, uh than boston and i i'm trying to think i don't think i've ever seen a film in 70 millimeter uh projected in 70 millimeter uh so it was a first for me and it was uh, it was gorgeous i it was it was it was an amazing i mean i'm i'm a big Qu- uh, quentin tarantino fan i uh i've liked pretty much all of his movies um I mean, they definitely hold a signature to it. And um, I, I think I've seen almost all of them in the theater. And seeing this one was, it was, it was, it was right up there. It was, it was beautiful to look at. Uh, 70 millimeter was, was, was gorgeous. Um, especially more, more the, the, the exterior shots than, of course, the interior shots. You know, this is a, a room, uh, you know, bunch of people in a room type movie much you know much like um reservoir dogs so the exterior shots of when they're when they're in the snow were i think a little bit more beautiful i i like the fact that there was kind of an overture that that was really really neat and the fact that it was a they had a program and uh it was uh, had an intermission so I the experience for me was 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 a really cool one. Uh, I I loved it. it. Was it was a nice theater that I was in in downtown Providence, and it was it was a pretty pretty great experience. I I I, I like going to the theater anyway, of course, but this this one was 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 pretty far up there. I I, I liked it, and I never I never felt that it was. Uh, I have a hard time sometimes with uh, IMAX. Or 3D uh, giving me a headache or causing me a little bit of vertigo. I never felt that with this. Um, it was just a really great way to watch a movie. Nick, yeah, I agree 100. percent I'm actually I'm, I'm really glad you went first because I don't I can't really improve upon that. That was pretty much my response as well. Um, I had seen I th- after they re re uh, stored the Fox Theater here in Detroit, which is one of the real world-class theaters uh in north america but truly when i say world-class i mean world-class theaters um one of the first things they did i don't know even when this was it was post-restoration so 88 90 92 somewhere around there i they, they did a 70 millimeter lawrence of arabia they did a 70 millimeter west side story i remember seeing both of those there um to packed houses and yeah i mean it's pretty i think maybe even Sound of Music. I'm not sure if Sound of Music was 70 millimeter, but I'm I uh, or if it was just blown up. Uh, I, I think it would, was. I think it, it was. They often do blow ups too to 65. You know, 65 millimeter. Blade Runner is an example of something I saw in the theater that was a 65 millimeter blow up. 
Um, so, you know, to see that again was, yeah, very striking, but again, kind of wasteful because it was just, it, it was, uh, it felt very gimmicky, you know, like, like this is part of a gimmick and, and I don't, that's not saying that as a bad thing. It just seemed like, um, the, there's an old joke, you know, I, who knows whether it's, you know, there's any kernels of, of truth to it, but the old joke, the old, one of the old Confucius say proverbs is Confucius say, don't use sledgehammer to kill a mosquito. And um, I think this was a sledgehammer killing the mosquito. It was like 70 millimeter. The bombast didn't really just, it didn't make sense because this film was largely a, a, a one set interior uh, locked room mystery, really. So the 70 millimeter seemed disproportionate to the aesthetic ambitions of the film in terms of the exterior. So I was kind of like, what the hell? But I mean, when you marry that to the idea that it's QT's bag, it made sense if it if not just gimmicky. The, so I, and I wouldn't even say I had a problem with that because I don't have a problem with 70 millimeter. The problem I think I had was with the, uh, the program, which I hadn't even paid attention to until you guys brought it out that that was where it said it, which was in the backseat of my car. And I just didn't like the term roadshow because I was hearing people kept saying roadshow, roadshow, roadshow. And, you know, roadshow is a, is a scholarly term for a very particular hit part and era of, of American filmmaking. You know, the parallel exploitation circuit was born, the roadshow was born out of that. You know, the, the sort of like David Friedman, 40 Thieves, you know, bait and switch, uh, films that they would bring into small towns and then show, you know, you know, so the bait, you know, the bait and switch, um, and then get the hell out of town before there was trouble with the cops, you know, counting their money. Um, this was a, this is a road show. The road show is sort of like antithetical to Hollywood treatment and budget, of course, which is what this film had was, you know, a lot of money pumped into it and a lot of marketing. So road show, at least according to all the scholars I've ever read, beginning with like Eric Schaefer's, you know, uh, book, this is not a roadshow. This is the antithesis of a roadshow. Unless, of course, he's saying it ironically. But no one's going to pick up on that because who out there has read a tremendous amount of exploitation scholarship, you know? So, so I mean, it was on another podcast that they kept talking about the roadshow. And I'm like, what are these people saying roadshow? This is not a roadshow. You know, live childbirth films, VD films. These were like, you know, roadshow films. So um, that was the experience for me. I, I The same as Chris's, but with those two little caveats. Gotcha. You know what? pissed me off was I, I think I was talking to Chris um you Chris you asked me if I was going to see it in 70 millimeter and I very confidently told you well there are no 70 millimeter projectors here in Michigan because several years ago when uh the master came out uh Paul Thomas Anderson had made the master in 70 millimeter and I wanted to see it in 70 mil so I called around uh to the art houses around uh, like the Michigan theater and other places found out even the main art in Royal Oak, it's all digital. No one has 70 millimeter projectors anymore. I think the only 70 millimeter projector in Southeast Michigan was at the Redford Theater. And uh, Michigan might have had one, but they weren't showing the master in 70. So I was like, well, that's stupid. So when you asked me, Chris, like, oh, are you going to go see it? Yeah, I was like, well, I don't have 70 millimeter projectors around here. And then I learned that they're actually, they actually trained a bunch of people, brought a <laughs> bunch of projectors in to various venues and sure enough the right there in Livonia there is a 
there was a 70 millimeter, but I, but I didn't, I didn't see it in that. I, I, I saw it at home. Yeah. They actually contracted um, Tarantino and the Weinstein company. Cause I, they actually talked about this. I heard about a story about it on, on uh, NPR and it was, it was kind of a big deal up here because they contracted with uh, a company called, I think it's called Boston light and sound. And they were the company that was responsible for finding, you know, a uh, hundred, you know, 105 working or decently functional 70 millimeter projectors and w- as well as training uh, all of these projectionists to run the films. Um, so they, yeah, they, 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 I, I have no idea where they found all of these. It could have been in people's basements and, and who, 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 who the fuck knows where they found all of these things. And that's something that's really cool. I mean, that's like an, an perhaps an unintended consequence of, of Tarantino here. Uh, his sort of cinephilia uh, in in it has a um, what's the word I'm looking for? This um, a byproduct of training a certain amount of people to sort of become you know facile with seventy millimeter projectors. You know something you don't you know which are large projectors. You don't see them very often anymore, as we all as as you just mentioned. So I mean that's kind of a cool thing, you know. Um, I thought so. I, the other thing that I and I, and I see where you're totally where you're coming from, Nick, and that it was a waste. It, you know, you almost think of well, what other Tarantino films could he have done in seventy millimeter that would have maybe been a little bit more um, effective? Maybe even Pulp Fiction uh, would it would have been better in seventy millimeter. Uh, I was just happy, and I and I I totally. I mean, I get your quibbles with the Roadshow. Um, my my, I guess my thing was, I guess, and, I, and Eric, I think you had brought this up, is that at least he's he's talking about it, right? At, at least the whole idea of seventy millimeter working in film is now is 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 kind of being brought back into the public discourse. Are a lot of other directors going to work with it? No, no, of course not. Tarantino and the Weinstein Company have the clout and they've got the money to be able to work in film, and they can afford it. And yeehaw for them! Uh, you know, are you gonna, are you going to get other people to, doing it? Probably not. But at least at least there are some people who are who are who are talking about the idea of film. And I like that. And that's cool. I mean, it was definitely a much more successful risk take than, you know, um, Grindhouse, which I thought was a was a pretty much pretty much failures. Both films for me were failures, as were the, as was the experience of trying to recreate, you know, a, a 70s Grindhouse double feature because it was so far removed from that reality that and so much in the 21st century that it seemed ridiculous to me frankly i applauded the the idea that backed it but it all seemed somehow very fake to me um you can't really recreate that that's that's then and this is now um there are other ways to pay homage i think but this uh, i think was a more successful uh, adventure into you know cinephilia cinephiliatic <laughs> um compulsions i guess cinephiliatic i like or that. whatever the word is as <laughs> I, the the compulsions of the cinephile, you know, sounds like a disease. I have, like, I, I'm a I'm a cinephiliatic. Ram his obsessions down our throats, um, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's it's um, it's. I still think, yeah. I mean, for me, it was just it was excessive, but but kind of cool in a way. But uh, <laughs> Eric, 
Yeah, it's, that's what it seemed like to me. I mean, there were times when I was watching it at home and I thought, oh, that might look pretty cool in 70 mil, like especially the exterior shots. Or there was a shot I remember of Samuel L. Jackson standing inside and there's like this dust or something floating around in the uh, in the air. And I thought, oh, I bet you the 70 millimeter picked that up really well, you know, stuff like that. But I mean, I got, I got the point of the movie, you know, at home. <laughs> you know, I don't think it... I don't. I don't feel like I probably miss very much, um, because of the type of movie it was and, and all that. Uh, so, uh, and I agree with you, Nick, about him shoving his kind of obsessions down our throats in certain ways. Um, and we can probably talk about that a lot more as we as we continue on about the about the film itself and about Tarantino in general. Sure. Um, I do like the idea of the intermission. I, I think they should bring intermissions back in general, especially for these long movies, because I, uh, I mean, it's hard to sit for three hours sometimes. I mean, when you're drinking a, a, a beverage or, or, or whatever, you just kind of need to get up and stretch your legs after a while. I mean, they have them, they have them in, um, in theatrical, you know, shows and yes. they have them in theatrical shows that are shorter than three hours. You know, you know, they, yeah. they, they have, they have that little, 15 minute break where you know people get up and they absolutely opera the bar, or they walk musical, outside and have a smoke plays, um a ballet i mean they all have their intermissions yeah, i mean yeah. the movie theaters won't do it because it gets in the way of block bookings you know and and yeah x amount of intermissions would mean less showing so yeah although it might mean more concessions yeah, that's true. It would make make for more concessions, which yep. is where the real money is anyhow. So Right, right. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm only half joking about that, <laughs> you know. Um because I, I do see films as a as a whole, you know, as like a as a as an artistic whole and I think they should be watched from beginning to end without um without interruption if possible, but but I'm still not against the idea of just like taking a stop and Nor am I. Cuz you know, it's hard for me to sit through. Um <clears throat> Do you guys want to talk about the content of the film? Sure. <laughs> Such a stupid question. Why? No, 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 I don't want we're to. Just gonna, let's just talk about the 70 millimeter and the intermission and be done with it. Okay, we're, we're talking about Star Wars now. <laughs> I would definitely like to go on uh, go on the record here because I've been the most vocal in my, probably among the three of us, I think. Um I don't know if I think Eric's probably right there with me, but I don't know if he's been as vocal. Uh, I've I've been I was critical. My students would always sort of be like, "What?" You know, I was critical of Quentin Tarantino uh, from you know sort of the late '90s to the mid 2000s because, and I've probably gone on record on this podcast because I thought he was in a giant feedback loop of of um, of mediocrity as well as sort of like I've seen this, I've seen this, I've seen this. Um, and it kept him sort of like, mm, it, it kept him in my eyes diminished somewhat as, as someone who was basically just a mixed media artist rather than a creator, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, of course there's counter arguments to be made for that. You know, it does, you know, it, uh, anybody can take found footage and put together something. You don't have to create it yourself. And, you know, I, and I'm willing to entertain those things, but the, the true auteurs I think of cinema do do that. And, and I've always felt that Tarantino was just a little too derivative and a little too unto himself and in his head and in his own ego with so many disparate influences coming together in some sort of postmodern hodgepodge. 
That started to turn around, I think, with Inglorious Bastards. I saw him embracing genre. I saw him, I felt like he was confident and mature and older and really just like all eight cylinders were really kind of like a lot of combustion going on there again. And then he followed that up with Django Unchained. And I felt that was even more, uh, more of the same that I'd gotten in Glorious, but of a different genre. And I loved that movie too. And I probably preferred Inglorious just a smidge. And then I saw Hateful Eight and I, I was again, quite impressed. I, I was, I, I thought that this contortionism, his acrobatics of dialogue are so artful and so fun to just watch that um, he kind of just lassoed me in yet again with a bunch of despicable characters and <laughs> kind of created this wonderful, as we said, locked room mystery. And I was um, my my uh, love affair with Quentin has been reignited via these past three films. Yeah, my uh, my experience of Tarantino tracks almost almost exactly with yours. Uh, Nick, I've I've seen like Chris, I've seen um, I've seen every single one of his films in the theater, except Grindhouse, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I actually and Reservoir Dogs. I didn't see Reservoir Dogs either in the theater. Now that I now that I think about it, and um, I saw Pulp Fiction before I saw Reservoir Dogs. I remember being completely blown away by by Pulp Fiction. And then going and watching Reservoir Dogs and being like, wow, who is this guy? You know, and I know there's been a lot of criticism um, of Tarantino, especially by our friend Mike White, about how derivative Reservoir Dogs is, actually. Um, but that's that's for another podcast, maybe. But um, and I felt the same way. Um, Jackie Brown, I didn't I wasn't terribly fond of, although. I think I need to rewatch that because a lot of people lately have have cited that as their favorite film. People that I kind of know and trust. So I might have yeah, to go back and revisit. Favorite, actually, okay. So, so I, I need to go back and revisit Jackie Brown because I remember seeing it in the theater and being like, eh, "I wasn't just it didn't thrill me." You know, I wasn't. I just didn't feel like it was doing anything terribly new. So, and that's where I started feeling like he was going into that feedback loop that you're talking about, Nick. Kill Bill volumes one and two were fine for what they were. I saw them both in the theater and I've never watched them again. Um, I, I feel like I got what I needed out of them. And, you know, I just, you know, I didn't, you know, yeah, you know, and then grindhouse is where I was really like, um, the grindhouse thing, death proof is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, fuck this guy, man. You know, <laughs> like, it was at that point. It was like a, it was like a slow downward, like after Pulp Fiction for me, and and like I said, I'll revisit Jackie Brown. It was a slow downward slope, where it was like getting worse and worse. I was like, yeah, he's just in his own head, like you said, Nick. He's you know, and then um, and then once Death Proof came around, I was like, whatever, yeah, I'm done with this dude, you know. And then Inglorious Bastards <laughs> came out, yeah, Inglorious Bastards came out, and I, you know, I I saw it out of um. Out of obligation, you know, I feel like, well, I'm a film guy. I've seen all of Tarantino's other films. I might as well go see this one. And I saw it by myself in uh, at the MC Livonia. I sat down and I was like, holy crap, this is great. Inglorious Bastards really blew me away. And I was like, this is a really good film. This is good. And there, and there um, you know, the scene in the basement, uh, in the basement tavern, like that oh, reminded me. Oh, God, that's wonderful. That's intense. That. Yeah, and it reminded me of 
some of the dialogue from Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, that tension that he's able to oh, yeah. create and hold on to. And uh, I w- and, and that felt like old Tarantino to me, like that it was good writing, well-directed, well-paced, especially that particular scene and some others. Django, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um and this is where I break with you, Nick. I, I just, I, the hateful eight left me feeling kind of the same way kill bill did almost where I felt like he was trying to do like, like for, take for example, in Pulp Fiction, the, the, the hamburger scene where he's going to eat the hamburger or the, um, the, the scene in Tarantino's character's house, um, take from inglorious bastards, that underground tavern scene, take from Django and chain the scene in the tavern towards the beginning of the movie with Christoph Waltz, that kind of intense kind of tension and suspense. I feel like he tried to do that with the hateful eight for two and a half hours or however long the movie is. And I just feel like he it didn't, I don't feel like he sustained it. I feel like he was trying to do that for the entire movie and for me, it didn't work. It worked in parts and it worked in pieces and here and there. And there were pieces of dialogue that I loved and there were cinematic stuff that I loved. There were performances that I thought were really, really good. But as a whole, I, I found myself rolling my eyes towards the end a little bit. Uh, really? Parts of it. Absolutely. Wow. I should have let you go first, Chris. Cause I know you were going to love on it. You know, I knew you. Lo- I know you love the film as well because we talked about I it. I should let you go first so I could be the, oh, the no, center. No, no, but- it's 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 yeah. it's okay. I I I loved it as well. I think I'm probably of the two of you the the biggest Tarantino fan. Um, I I loved Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. Like you, Eric, blew me away. I actually still use it to teach all the time because there are so many wonderful teachable moments in that. Um. I love Jackie Brown kill bill. It was, it was, I'm like you, I didn't hate it. I I, I liked it. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, It went on a little too long. Um, You know, with grindhouse and death proof, I didn't, I know you guys, you know, deplored them. Um, I just sort of took them for what they were. (laughs) Deplored. No, but uh, you know, I just sort of said, Oh, okay. Failure. Yeah. I just, I, I, I don't, I don't, have really much background with exploitation cinema. That's not my area. I, I, you know, I, I've read about, it. I mean, I'm aware of it, but I, I just, you know, the, the, the history there, that's, I think that's, you know, especially with you, Nick, that's something that you're, 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 you're more of an expert on. So I was just like, Oh, all right, whatever. I, I yeah, I, I didn't say fuck this guy. Uh, I just said, uh, you know, whatever, you know, that's it. And then, you know, pretty much from Inglorious Bastards on, I was like, ah, Tarantino's, you know, uh, he's, he's back. Back in form. Uh, he's back in form. And I, I think his dialogue is some of the best. Um, he has this amazing twisted way of making horif- the horrific into the comedic. Um, I, I never, I'll never forget when I was seeing, when I saw Pulp Fiction, I saw it in the theaters. And the the scene when they're in the car and he, boom, the gun goes off. And he's, oh, I just shot Marvin in the head. I laughed. I felt really bad about it too, but I laughed my ass off. There's the, the the dialogue and the way he's able to take horrific things and make them funny. Um, he's so he's really really good at that. He builds tension very very well. Um, you know, even the 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 ear slicing scene in Reservoir Dogs, the stuck in the middle with you. I mean, it's it's a horrific scene, but there's there's moments of that 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 do border on comedic maybe i'm just revealing how twisted i am but um 
And you know, of course, the use of the song was brilliant. But I overall, his whole catalog, I've 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 been pretty much a fan of. I, I think he's an interesting guy, um, and I I love his his love of of cinema, just just love of cinema and what he does with taking genres and making them neo, you know, the the neo western and the neo you know, neo black exploitation, if you will, and neo neo noir. Um, so. I, I thought Hateful Eight was great. Uh, it was a great mystery. The dialogue was was phenomenal. Um, it was entertaining. I was, you know, he built tension. And again, it was it was him doing what he does. But I like what he does. Um, you know, and that that's great. I mean, I, I I'd like to build off of what you just said the the whole neo aspect, and and probably in in the process, maybe respond to a couple of things Eric said. Um. The first thing would be, uh, and then I'll come back to Chris's comment about the Neo, uh, but uh, in relationship to Jackie Brown, yeah, you should watch it again. It's it's my second favorite. Um, I meant to before we recorded. I just never got around to it. You know, I, I've, I've watched it two or three times. I've got the DVD. And, um, you know, the reason I think I like that movie the best, I mean, I love exploitation. grew up watching Blaxploitation, um, but... For me, I think the the most interesting thing about that film is that he didn't write it. You know, this is an, an adaptation of Elmore Leonard's Rum Punch. Yeah, which is a great I, book. I never read it. I, I've only read one uh, Dutch Leonard book. But um, the idea that, that he gave up control of that aspect is still sort of made it a, a Tarantino film in many regards, but gave up control to adapt something. And then if, I love... Uh, um, Robert Forster. Robert Forster is one of my favorite actors. And so, you know, that was wonderful to see him uh, rise up, you know, and become, you know, with the Oscar nomination and become a uh, household name again, because a lot of people forgot about him from in the seventies when he was a major star. And I, I, I absolutely love Robert Forster. And I just, I really like that movie. Some people, that's it, a very divisive film. Some people love it. Some people hate it. You know, I, I, it, and I, I would say like up till today, to date, my favorite Quentin Tarantino film is Inglorious Bastards. And I think because of all of his films, that's probably the truest, most sincere love letter to cinema that that he pulled off. Because that film's really about film, you know. It really is. You're right. And um but to then so that was my Jackie Brown comment to to Chris and Eric, but to both of you, like Eric, what you were saying about like how how uh, he was reverting back to some like bad habits, or not bad habits, but like not as tense as the things you saw in Django and in, um, in glorious, I agree with you, but where I give him a pass is that he's doing what Chris said. It's Neo. I love the idea that he's doing something new with hateful eight, uh, by fusing basically, you know, frontier Western film with, um, with, you know, frontier justice film with the locked room mystery thriller, you know, the idea that he has sort of like a theatrical, Agatha Christie film going on here or, or something like Death Trap or The Last of Sheila or uh, uh, the one with um, was it uh, Lawrence Olivier and Michael Can- uh, Sleuth or Sleuth, you know, he's got like this very clever, almost whodunit type thing. And you don't I didn't expect that. I didn't know what this film was about, but I wasn't expecting that. So he surprised me again. And that's the whole problem I have with this dude was he was not surprising me. He was retreading the same old tired bullshit for so long that like like Eric says like you know what fuck this guy I'm done but but then he's sort of I think he's come back 
and he's he's very strong right now. So it, I, it's not that I disagree. I just think that I, I, my pass was that th- there was this uh, very interesting remix of genre here that worked for me. Yeah, I could. Um, what you said earlier about the genre, like the the films that you like best of his are the are the more genre films where he's taking a genre and either um, participating in it or trying to make it new. And and I, I get that. And, you know, it might be also that perhaps because the Western is not, you know, is not a genre that I respond to as much as others. Maybe that plays into it. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if that's part of it or not. Um, you know, because it's not my favorite genre, but um, I, mean, I agree with you that it's, it's the, the whodunit part is kind of interesting. Like when you come back from intermission, and there's that piece of information in voiceover after the intermission. I thought that was really clever. Yeah. Um, See, that's the only know. thing I didn't like about it. <laughs> it took me, it took me out of it because I didn't mean to interrupt Eric. Um, oh, no, no, no. But it took me out of it because it was Tarantino narrating. If, if it had been maybe another <laughs> character, I mean, I, you know, I'm not really a big fan of his acting. Um, Ooh. Yeah, he's not really a very good actor. He he should stick to directing. But uh, if it was not him narrating, I would have been fine with it. If it was one of the characters, but suddenly, and 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 Tarantino's got a very distinctive voice. You know, you, you you know it's him. So I get back in my seat, and suddenly, the director is narrating part of the film for me. I'm thinking, what the fuck? What like where did he come from? Like, was, was he sitting was he sitting somewhere all the time you know what 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 is this here what 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 is this you know you get one of the characters near and this in our story you know, that'd be okay um that i'd be fine with but the fact that he narrated it i don't i have no idea why he did it if if i ever met him that's why the one question I would ask him why, you know, and maybe he said, well, cause I'm going to, it's my movie. I can do whatever I want. I respect that. It's your movie. You can do whatever the fuck you want. But, uh, I just don't know why it was him doing it. And, and maybe you guys can explain it to me. Uh, maybe I'm missing something, but maybe well, it doesn't bother you as much as it does me. But I just thought, well, why in the world, it's like introducing a character right in the middle of a of a of a major of a plot sequence. They have no relevance at all. They're just like hi, and then mm-hmm. poof, they 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 uh, they're gone. You know. And I'll be honest with you, Chris. I didn't I didn't notice that it was him when I heard the voiceover. I know he like you said it's a distinctive voice, and maybe because I was watching at home, I wasn't being quite as attentive as. But I don't know. I didn't know that was him. I didn't hear it as him Mm -hmm. but i will say that when he shows up in django unchained it takes me completely out of the film no more cameos yeah come on you know it was funny in pulp fiction because no one knew who he was in pulp fiction and he plays a pretty good role yeah he's good in that we're not good but he's he fulfills but he works yeah it works he's believable he's believable right but when he shows up in Django, you're like, oh, look, it's Quentin Tarantino. You know, God, God. like, come on, dude, you know, get out of here. So I could, I understand why that bothers you, Chris. And the only reason it didn't bother me is because I didn't notice that it was him. Um, but I did like the voiceover. I, like I, li- I liked the fact of the voiceover because it introduced a, uh, a wrinkle into the plot that kind of 
it happened during intermission almost. You know, you get back from intermission, and it's like, oh, and while you were gone, what, what you didn't know and what nobody noticed was blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, no, this is interesting. And it really gets you back into the movie after taking, a, in my case, a theoretical intermission. And in your case, a real intermission. Um, it, you know, it really gets you back into the film in a very different way. I thought that was very clever. I enjoyed um, it. Yeah. Yeah. In theory, like I said, in theory, it didn't bother me. But like, like I, I mean, I've I, I've heard him at press conferences and 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 stuff like that. And I think I had maybe the day before, a couple days before, I had seen some sort of video about one of his movies where it was it was a that that dude uh, from the BBC and like Tarantino like bitched him out because he was he was he was like going off topic or something so maybe i had his voice in my head or something but but i i mean i knew it was him and i i, I was like why in the hell are you here like right now if only he had cast Keanu Reeves to do that oh <laughs> god god i i i, I him or maybe him or Wes Anderson no no not Keanu Keanu Reeves what what why <laughs> You know why I said that. <laughs> oh, no, I know why you said that. Oh, Keanu Reeves. Oh, oh no, they would have completely bungled it. For listeners <laughs> who don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back to the episode where we discussed, I think it was our top film of the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. You'll, 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 a little diatribe about Keanu. <laughs> I, I will say Eric seems to be converted on Point Break, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've already gone over that, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, I still don't like. We it. already went over the Keanu stuff too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just pulling his leg there. The, the only but, time uh, I ever liked, I actually, ever quasi liked Keanu around. Reeves was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. So I'll leave it yeah. at that. I'm coming around on him a little bit too, to be honest. But um, at any rate, um, yeah. So I thought that was clever. What else did you guys like about the film? No, that's about it for me. You, you know? didn't like the um, music. Nick, I thought about you when I saw the film because I well now that music there's a, there's a lot of public misconception about that you know I mean Tarantino was so vocal in not ever wanting to have anybody do original music compositions for his films uh, he said a lot of really dickish things over the years and, and, and you know um, almost embarrassing I would think uh, um, I mean when you read them there are some quotes I could certainly put some up on the website. Yeah, he, he has. I, and, I think I know what you're You know, about. I mean, he obviously loves Ennio Morricone, and they were, you know, slated to work together before, but it never happened. But, I mean, people are talking about the score, and I think it's nice that he does incorporate original composition for it, but there's very little. I don't know how much, maybe 11, 14 minutes of actual original score, uh, Morricone original theme written for specifically this film the rest of it are unused cues from carpenter's the thing i was gonna say i thought part a lot of it was just because he didn't have enough time to write it that's exactly right he reused stuff from so i think it's um it's great but it's uh you know a little too little a little too late you know but um i i enjoyed morricone's and i mean it's a nice departure for tarantino he does he's doing he gets around to doing things that like journeyman directors in the studio era did all the time you know like I have to work with a composer. No, no, no. Oh, I have to adapt somebody else's work. No, no. <laughs> it's like, dude, you know, like grow up in some respects. You know, there are other people who have talent out there and they can add to your, your creation. He, he just, he's a control freak and, and uh, sometimes it's hard for him to let go. So it only took him eight films and 20 years, but he finally had somebody write some music for him. <laughs> it only took him 20 years. <laughs> Did you guys hear him? Did you, did you guys see him in the Golden Globes? 
No, I missed the Golden Globes the first time in forever. I only watched part of the Golden Globes. He accepted the award for uh, for Marconi for the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and uh, he's just. <sighs> He just went on and on about how this is my film and I did this. I put Marconi in here. I am responsible for him winning his only award outside of, you know, blah, he did blah, blah. Not tell me that. That made me want to punch him. He did not say that. Seriously? I'll find a clip. I'll find a clip. <laughs> oh, on Facebook. Well, you can't even be gracious in giving up control for when the guy wins the award. Well, you know, whatever. Um, directors and directors but that's just ridiculous you know i mean that's just hubris and ego gone crazy so yeah i'm obviously exaggerating but it was i mean that's definitely it was part of the tone of part of his acceptance speech so it was uh yeah i'll um i'll I'll find a i'll I'll try to find a clip and put it on facebook and on the uh at at, that's rapshow.com so people can hear it and see see how much i'm exaggerating i guess but yeah it was just kind of i have the link on youtube i'll I, i can i can send that to you okay yeah, cool. Um, that's all. Those are my thoughts. In in toto, yeah. in toto, ditto here. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a whole lot more either. I mean, I was, I, uh, I expected a little more pushback from you guys, maybe. But I mean, I think you know. I mean, that's I've stated my position. <laughs> You've stated yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like you know it was over, a little over long, and uh, I, I just it didn't, it didn't succeed for me as much as as as, as say Django uh, right. Unchained right. did. Uh, but that's just me. I'm glad I saw it, though. It's not as bad as Death Proof. Alright, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, cool, so... Your pussy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Segment two of Principal Photography of episode number 41 of That's a Wrap. We are going to talk about Star Wars The Force Awakens, mostly because we're a bunch of nerds. <laughs> right? That's Is there any other reason to talk about this film? Besides, it was a the Star Wars franchise was an integral part of all of our childhoods. No, I can think of no other great reason to talk about it. But um, I also can't think of a better reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so cool. Um, I saw it over, I saw it on Christmas Day in the theater. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, when, when did you see it, Chris? Do you remember by chance? Oh, God. Um, Before no, that? Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember Nick, uh, you and I talking about uh, how much we were trying to avoid spoilers. Oh, yeah. And uh, Nick, apparently you uh, you were subject to a to a pretty big spoiler before you saw the film christmas eve yeah um my friend's kid who's such a good kid just kind of blurted out you know i I saw star wars oh yeah did you like it yeah blah 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 blah. i'm like whoa wait why i didn't say tell me all you know and so he gave away big stuff and yeah i was not pleased uh but it was hard to stay angry at him on christmas eve for more than about five minutes but um but i was (laughs) no he's a great kid favorite boys in the world yeah that hurt yeah kids don't know sometimes oh he knew Um, he's like you know he's he even said oh i should have said spoiler alert and i'm like he knows he knew uh how old is he uh 10 now nine or ten he's at that age he's at that age where he wants to just be a little stinker 
if he wants to live to see 11. But anyway, we'll do what we normally do in this podcast, and we'll remain spoiler-free for a little while. I mean, the, the movie's been out over a month, so it shouldn't Hard be a problem. No, by now. But we'll be, yeah, but we'll be spoiler-free at least for the first little bit, and we'll tell you when we're going to spoil it, in case you haven't seen the film yet. Um, I have encountered um, in my life now in the last five years or more – uh, a good number of people who have never seen any of the Star Wars movies and ha- and now have no intention of seeing this one, which which to me is really weird. We're all around the same age. Very weird. Yeah. Um, these people are usually students are usually 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, and it's you know, it's uh, it's has become a generational thing. because I think there's a sweet spot or not so sweet spot of people who were too young to see the originals and now also too young to have seen the prequels. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Why do I bring this up? I don't know. I don't know why I bring this up. Um, Those people don't listen to this podcast. (laughs) So whatever. Um, I'm just going to go on the record first by saying I really, really liked it. I thought it was great. I thought it, it at some points I felt like it was kind of just kind of checking the boxes, you know, of, okay, make sure we have C3PO, make sure you get R2D2. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. Right. But I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't mind. I like those boxes being checked. What about you guys? I liked it. Uh, you know, it, it, it felt like, and I, I think there was an interview somewhere that, that, that said that, the one of the intents of this films, and Lu, I think Lucas might have said, was to make it more what the fans wanted, and I, I, I thought that it was. I thought it delivered. I, I thought it was uh, a lot of fun. Um, I agree with you, Eric, as far as the check of the boxes, like, oh, okay, you know, um, you know, the, the, you know, I, I was expecting to see the kids of Jabba the Hutt, but no, no, uh, but um, no, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was great. Yeah. It was it was it was great. It was so much better. I mean, I would, you, know, you don't sound very convincing, Chris. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was it, it was, was great. Yeah, it was great. great. I mean, it's one of those. It's also one of those. It's 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 fucking Star Wars. Like it's one of those things that it's so hard to measure up to four, five, and six. Yeah, and, and the experience that you know I had at four, five, and six. Sure. That and there's so much hype. I mean, there's so much, so much hype. That uh, you know, it's kind of tough, but uh, overall, I I loved it. I I had a fun. I left with a big old smile on my face. I loved hearing the theme. Um, did, would I say you know, hey, it should, you know, it was the best movie, you know, best movie of the year? No, 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 no. It was, um, you know, it, it it was great. I mean, I thought it was the the fact that. That Disney bought the franchise. I was a little nervous about that, but they were obviously able to put their 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 money where their mouths were. I thought J.J. Abrams did a a good job directing, and he, it was it was kind of what fans wanted to see all along. I thought there were some 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 funny things, you know, just that that are about it that made me made me feel like the film didn't take. It almost made me feel like the film didn't take itself as seriously as as some of the others. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if you guys yeah, thought that. that, you know, but just some of the, the, the funny things that people, that the characters said. Yeah. I'll give uh, you a, I'll give you an example of maybe what you're talking about is when there's a, there's a scene where there are a couple of stormtroopers walking down the, uh, 
walking through the hallway uh, when Kylo Ren is having a temper tantrum and one of them kind of grabs the other one to like go, go the other way. Like, uh Oh, <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. And when they're, when they're in the, like the, the, the dialogue, when they first steal the tie fighter, it felt like, and this is the only thing I could, could, it could, could compare it to it. The dialogue between um, Finn and Poe in that, that, scene felt like the dialogue between jeff goldblum and well smith in independence day oh boy <laughs> that, that's kind of what it reminded me of. it's like hey hey you know hey uh, my name is can you can you shoot this you know can you fly a tie fit you know you know can me make a shoe smell you know it, that, that's kind of what it, <laughs> i was laughing i i I'm, i don't know maybe <laughs> yeah, well this no, is a tough it was one, very guys. lighthearted yeah it, it was, was it was very light i'm sorry nick yeah that is a tough one. I can I can imagine the first time listener of the show. It's like you know three three media scholars or professors or whatever you know, and and then basically we get to Star Wars and we're like, it was great. Yeah, it was great. I liked it. It was great. You know, like there's <laughs> there's like a whole, a whole lot of analysis we can we can like it's Star oh, yeah. Wars. You know, yeah, I have, yeah, I have a lot to say about that. Yeah, it, it, it's it's yeah. Uh, it's its own sort of it's a cultural phenomenon beyond you know like. Eric and I identify ourselves as as bigger fans, probably of the Star Trek universe. Um, but that's just a that's a that's a value judgment that we just are, we like that more. But um, because I think it's just the more consistently, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, more the consistently the, less disappointing universe. But um, yeah, the distinction Wars, I would like to make with Star Trek is that Star Trek is science fiction, science Star fiction, Wars is right, fantasy. fantasy, and and uh, which is fine, you know, it's nothing you know, but. My take on the film was I went and saw it with my mom, which is great because she's the same, very same person that took me and my brother in 1977 to see it. That's so cool. There was a, a wonderful circuitous sort of like feeling to that, to, to go and see it with my mom. And we both, you know, what can I say? We both really enjoyed it. What I, what I liked the most, I think about it was one thing that some people didn't like, but it seems like like the majority of people really liked, which was, it was like aesthetic replication of the first three in terms of tone and in terms of like the oral universe. And by, by oral, I mean with an A and not an O uh, the, the, the sound effects, the, the, the sort of like when, when a gun would drop down from something, it, it you know, uh, it would look very much like it was stop motion. It, you know, it was digital, but it was made to look like it was a stop motion gun coming down or something like that. So there was like this real earnest effort to sort of like replicate the original movie going aesthetic in terms of like George Lucas's creations. And it didn't feel fake to me. It felt honest to goodness, sincere and real. As opposed yeah. to like Grindhouse, which felt like a ripoff. <laughs> oh, so, well, no, it's a really good comparison because no, that I mean, is a good comparison. It's I a agree. comparison because it's we talked about it. You know, like Grindhouse feels like disingenuous, whereas this felt heartwarming. I had like misty eyes. You know, when I first heard certain themes, Luke's theme, for example, bum, bum, you know, like when I heard certain parts and when I saw, you know, Chewie and Solo, and you know, I mean, there was just like. The film tugged at all the. It knew the emotional heartstrings to pull, and it pulled them really well. And um, you know, where, where's the critique in that? I don't really have much critique of this. The critique I've read mostly is that people think it's just too much of a ripoff of the plot and structure of Episode Four. 
And I'm like, yeah, it is. It but is. like mm-hmm. that seemed to me like that's what they needed to do and they're not denying it. And so what? <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I agree. I've, I've heard that criticism too. That's kind of a rehash. And I, and I get that. I understand why, why, uh, why people say that. Cause it kind of is a rehash of four. Um, and I think, I I feel like that's on purpose, not just to tug heartstrings and have people like, oh, this is familiar. I, I've seen this before and be happy and, and, and all that. I mean, that's that's that might be part of it. But I think that um, Abrams is setting us up for a narrative that's going to go in a very different direction. Uh, I think there's a there's a repetition with difference. And I think it's a repetition that's going to set us up for for something that that I, I think that the next film is going to be very different from uh, Empire Strikes Back, for example. Uh, you, you, I don't think they're going to spend three movies rehashing the exact same same plot lines. And I felt like there are certain things you get the father son stuff, you get the you know the kind of lineage, you get the dark side light side stuff, but you have a very different villain, a villain who is very clearly conflicted. Um, obviously, um, you've got a very different hero. Um, I feel like there's a lot that's, that's different enough that I feel like it's going to set us up for a different narrative. Now, maybe I'm wrong, man. I'm just being hopeful and naive. I don't know. But, um, but like you, Nick, I don't take that as a huge criticism of, of the, of the film, especially given the expectations put on this thing, you know, uh, after the, after the prequels, I mean, the prequels were almost universally hated. Um, and, uh, so to go back to what feels like and looks like the originals that we're used to and loved, I think is a really good aesthetic choice. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, if, if, if I, well, let me see what I want. I was going to say something and now I've forgotten what it was completely. It just went right out of my mind. Um, uh, which is other to say that I, I, in the interim while I'm thinking about it, uh, there were things I definitely admired about episodes two and three. I really didn't like The Phantom Menace, but I, I there were things I, I admired about two and three. But yeah, I mean, on, on the whole, I think the prequels, you know, like you said, people were not not enchanted by them. Uh, Might have even been disenchanted to some degree. Um However, I, I'll to my dying day say that God bless uh, Ewan McGregor because he really is the glue <laughs> that holds everything together in those. Films. <laughs> it's true, yeah, that's that's true. true. Yeah. I'll agree with you there. Um, but doggone it, you know, I forgot what I was going to say. It was in direct response to something you were going to say, Chris. Why don't Why don't you take up the if you've got something to say right now? Um, no, I I, I think uh, you you said it really well, Nick, with the the whole. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the 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 rehashing of the the originals, and I I thought that too, and I felt it, and I felt like the sound effects, and it's like, oh boy, this is very familiar territory. Um, but I, I like you, I I guess I have to agree. It didn't it didn't bother me. It it it, it was it was very. Uh, were there similarities? Yeah. Were there new characters with different motivations, different drives? Um. Yeah, there were. So I, I thought there was enough of that that um that it didn't it it didn't bother me. And and you know what? Let's 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 look at motion pictures. I mean, their formulas. You know, the first one, episode four, I should say, um, it was a success for a reason, right? You know, it it was it was a blockbuster for a, a reason. It had that something, and I think. 
Abrams brought back that something. I don't want to say that the lightheartedness killed it. Ah, um, you just reminded me what I was going to say. Thank you. Oh, good. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I didn't. I I didn't know I was doing that, but good. Uh, I I didn't, I don't want to say that the lightheartedness of the film took something away. Uh, I just I it just wasn't like I said. It just wasn't as, as, as serious or. I don't want to, I don't want to use the word focused, but, uh, it, it just wasn't as serious. You know, I, I, I felt a little bit more, you know, I, I thought the tone, except for the, of, except for the, well, I don't want to give a spoiler, but at the end, well, I think the tone for me, and I, I agree with you, Chris, but I think for me, ultimately it struck a balance that the original three kind of had between its lighter moments and it's more serious and somber moments. So I thought it kind of like it, 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 it straddled that line effectively that's that almost sort of like witty repartee that banter of 1930s films that that lucas grew up loving and adoring yeah. so that that back and forth that you see a lot of that um mm-hmm. and uh, but uh, but it's it's you know he mixes the shots well i think in terms of tone but i know what i wanted to say was when you said abrams uh, and it goes back to something chris uh eric said a few minutes ago about i you know i'm not sure what what abrams has in store but i think he's going to do stuff wildly different it's interesting because if we look at star trek um the first film goes to like you know pretty great lengths to sort of like uh separate itself from the original some congruity of the star trek universe so that it can forge its own and so it's like a necessary tear and then then people were like are you kidding me and then so he wants to do like con for the second that's exactly what you know the the motion pictures did they went to con um which he does but he brought what i thought were significant enough twists to say yes um we're going to the sequel and dealing with this character again, but in a, in a different way because it's a different universe. It's a different timeline. And yeah. I frankly liked it, you know? Yeah. So that could be, we could have our empire strikes back modified. It like we had a wrath of Khan modified for number two. Who knows? You know? Empire well, strikes back I, I Redux. A, yeah. Redux. I have a couple things to say about that. Cause I wanted to address a star Trek thing too. Um, because, be, because of the two star Trek movies, I trusted J.J. Abrams to do Star Wars. I don't think it's fair that he gets to do both of them. <laughs> but um, you, don't, you don't think it's fair? Why not? Because, I mean, he, you're hogging. <laughs> he's, hogging the, he's hogging the whole, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars. That's like, you know, that's not right. Oh, I see. He's like the Winston Churchill of, of cinema here. He's got like all this might and power. Man. But anyway, um, this, there is there's there are a couple things I want to say about that uh, very quickly, though. The uh, with the Star Trek um, movies that J.J. Abrams did, um, they had a lot of wit to them as well. And there is a lot of lightheartedness, but they were they were still serious enough. And they're very clearly a reboot. I mean, the whole premise of the first movie is, oh, there's this time in the space. There's this tear in the space time continuum. This is an alternate universe. Which is really clever because it lets him go and do the con thing in, in two, which which I thought he did pretty well. And he gets to do this whole reboot with new actors and new timelines and new everything without without disavowing the original that we love so much. Because the original that we love so much still exists. It's just in another alternate parallel universe. You know, I think he did a really good job there. With Star Wars, however. He's working within the same continuity. He has to work within the same continuity. And crucially here, I think, 
the next two movies are not going to be directed by J.J. Abrams. Ryan Johnson is directing this, the, the next one. And I trust him, too, after Looper. I thought Looper was a really good Yeah, movie. I like Looper a and lot. I, and I like, I like Brick a lot as well. Um, so Ryan Johnson is, I think, writing and directing the next one. I know he's directing the next one. He might be doing the next two. I don't know. Maybe you guys know more than I do about this. So it's not even going to be J.J. Abrams' vision necessarily. Which is weird because he's not on Star Trek anymore either. And I didn't care for that trailer for the third film. So what? Ha- yeah. So is this a case of a franchise losing its focus and direction when its creator walks away to do something else? I hope not. Well, well, we're going to find out as far as Star Wars goes whether it's going to be you know, whether it's J.J. Abrams doing this or Disney. Mm-hmm. You know, is yeah, this good be point. Because you know some of the some of the criticisms I've heard about this were beyond the rehashing is or the predictions. I guess is you know we expect another trilogy, right? We expect another complete narrative arc, and that'll be it. But since this is Disney, if it's continuing to, continuing to make money, we might see eight more films. Directed by God knows who, and they'll run it into the ground. I've heard this. Seven, eight, nine. We'll have ten, eleven, and twelve. Right, exactly. You know, and that and that is consistent with a lot of what Disney does. I mean, who knows? Time will tell. Um, and we'll find out. But I mean, why? In some cases, like in some respects, why wouldn't they? Um, I suppose. So we'll 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 find out more about that. Um, obviously in the future. Mm -hmm. But uh, as far as Abrams goes. Like I've heard him say that he regrets giving up control and not doing two and or three. And on the other end of it, I mean, George Lucas has come out criticizing this film. Have you heard any of you guys read any yeah, of this? Sure did. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. He, I think he, so. the one thing I read, I mean, I met the I read the criticism, but I also read about the fact, the simple fact that once he made the sale and he was very happy to make the sale, well, you know, um, he felt very shut out from the process, you know, that he wasn't consulted on anything. Mm. And I, and I, you know, I, I see his point. I'm not taking sides here, but right. he probably felt like you don't have to take my advice, but you can ask, you, you know, ask. I mean, I do know something about these characters, you know? Yeah. Well, at the same, yeah, that, and that, that's fair. But at the same token, I think that was, you know, you, you sign away the rights. And he should have known of all companies. Yeah. Disney. Sure. You sign away the rights for Disney, they're going to do things their own way, regardless of, regardless of whether or not you're George fucking Lucas and, and, and you, you gave birth to these people and you were, you were writing these characters and this, this, um, space opera, uh, for years, you know, maybe, maybe when Walt was still alive, who God, who knows, uh, but that, that when you sell it to Disney, you're like, Hey, the, the ink is dry. It is ours, you know? George, enjoy your money. Go golfing. You know, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll invite you to the premiere. Um, we'll give you free tickets to Disney World, and that's it. You know, yeah. the, the the film is ours. Yeah, you know my uh, my sister uh, bought a you know like a starter house years ago and, and fixed and she and my brother in law fixed it up, tore some walls out and all this stuff. And the uh, the original owner, he was he had owned a the house for decades he would stop by once in a while knock on the door you know want to know what's going on you know look around you see what they're doing and you know at some point my brother-in-law had to say look dude you sold us this house 
it's our house now. You're not really welcome here anymore. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no offense to George and, you know, the guys, the guys creative genius is what gave us this, this wonderful franchise to begin with. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm more of a star Wars guy than a star Trek guy. I, I, I grew up with star Wars like you both did. I, when I was, uh, I can't believe I'm ending this in the podcast, but when I was a little kid, I used to put, and I think Nick knows this story. I used to put my Star Wars action figures. I had the whole, I had the original Kenner action figures, and I used to carry them around in a brown paper bag everywhere with me. It was like my fucking purse, you know. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Um, oh no! No, I, I, yeah, I was, I was such a, I was a huge fan. You know, yeah. so uh, yeah, the, you know, in, in elementary school, we had the carrying cases, we had the posters. Oh on the yeah, wall. I mean, it's just, the, the you know, dominated. Cases. Yeah, the po- every I, everything I did, I did too. So, um, you know, and and I understand that George has that 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 attachment, and I thank George Lucas for it. But like you said, with the house, you know, sorry, George, you know, you you, you sold it to us. You knew what you were doing. Uh, you took the money. It's, I guess I'm just, uh, I'd agree with, I, I can't, I don't disagree. I guess I'm just, if, if, from an empathetic standpoint, if I was George Lucas and I just got all this money and then like two years goes by and, and they don't contact me once about anything to do yeah. with it, I might've been like, I might've been hearing crickets and owls and going, God, am I, am I completely out to pasture now? Uh, just like one email and, and that would say like, you know, and 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 uh, what was Anakin's motivation for X, Y, or Z? It might just make <laughs> him feel great about something, you yeah. know. But like he was saying, he was so divorced from it, he felt like almost like they purposely were avoiding him, and and that mm. could be true. I don't know, but like I'm not uh, I'm not taking sides. Like I said, I'm saying that I'm seeing both sides. It's like, dude, this isn't your house anymore, and he's saying, you know, like um, I do know something about the franchise. If you ever need it, you know. Granted, yeah. I my track record lately hasn't been so good, right, right. but I have I plotted the it. whole goddamn thing, uh, and he plotted it well. So, one of his criticisms of the movies, specifically, was that like, his his thing was he always brought you to new places, uh, new new settings, new planets, and, and gave you things to look at and think about, and and that this movie doesn't really do that, um, which I don't entirely agree with. They go to that one planet um, with all the junk and where where she finds the lightsaber <laughs> i don't know what the planet's called but that's that's you know different but deck 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 tecona or takata or toyota or whatever it's called. Ter- terracotta <laughs> i don't know um don't yeah so i mean it, so yeah i mean it's kind of maybe it's nitpicky a little bit but um speaking of nitpicky something there's one thing that bothered me about this like one of the things that bothered me about the prequels the thing that got me with phantom menace was the whole introduction of the midi chlorins this idea that i think in the original trilogy you felt like the force was something that anybody could use you know like anybody could learn to to use somehow and then when the phantom menace rolls around it's, oh no it's hereditary you gotta you know it's like you gotta have the right genes and stuff you know which which kind of sucked um but anyway it's that was not even what I was going to say. What, one thing that I was confused about in this movie is up until now, to my knowledge, the only people that you ever saw use a lightsaber were people who like had the force in some way, like who were training or or in some way, you know, were in line to become Jedis or whatever. And in this one, you have Finn who 
like just picks up a saber and starts using it. Did you guys do you guys find that odd as well, or is it just me? No, I did find that odd. I, I thought it was a little strange that you know. I mean, we can go with the canned expl- explanation of it's you know part of the, the character's background and the DNA, but I did find it a little weird. Yeah, yeah. I, wow, what's a former stormtrooper wielding a lightsaber doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. It just seemed weird to me. Like, I'm, you know, it just, it's nitpicky, but I'm like, I thought only people, who, you know, the forest could do that. Eh, whatever. I, mean, I will I say, though. I'm with Finn, but, but yeah. No, no, I, I like Finn, too. I had no problem with, with the character of Finn at all. I thought he was good, good comic relief in a way. He was a good protagonist. I had no problem with him at all. It was just, just that. I was like, huh, I, I guess I didn't no, know that no, just no, no. anybody could pick up I, a lightsaber. I had saber. that same reaction. I, but I thought that it too. was one of those moments where you're like, do I do I uh, dwell on this or just, you know, let yeah. it go? And, oh, yeah. But it's worth, let it go. It's worth bringing but, up, though. I agree. No. Now, here's, yeah. here's a question. Um I'm I, I'm I, I'm I can I can I do a spoiler at this point? Yeah, yeah. All right. So um you know, obviously, yeah, spoiler, uh Han you know, Han gets killed by 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 Ren. And I'm curious if JJ Abrams and this is just funny, put that in because um uh Ford basically said, Look, I don't want to do any more of these damn films yeah. films. Kill very, me off. Very realistic theory, I think. Yes. I that's kind of what I was thinking because he was I've seen uh I've seen interviews with him with Harrison Ford where he thought um, Han Solo should have died in Return of the Jedi. He thought it would add some gravitas to the to the narrative if um into the character if he died uh in the original trilogy. So yeah, that's that's very likely. Yeah, it's kind of that. That's that's what yeah. I thought. My favorite part of the movie was um when Ray is battling Kylo Ren and Luke's uh saber like is sitting in the snow and then Kylo Ren goes to like, you know, kind of force grab it and bring it to himself. And you, and you know that it's going to come to her. Like, you know, you know that she's going to get it, but the way they do it, where it flies past him and he has to get out of the way. And all of a sudden she's got the saber. That was awesome. That was a great moment. <laughs> yeah, that was. <laughs> was a good moment. But, um, yeah, I mean, overall though, I think the, <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, I think there are some valid criticisms to the, to the film, you know, but I, I think for, for what it, what it is, I think it hits, I mean, it does everything it's supposed to do. Agreed. I, um, I was a little kid again, and it especially helped seeing that with my mom. It was, uh, the experience to some degree was kind of repeated. She loved it too. I was just going to ask, how'd your mom like it? Yeah, she loved it. You know, I mean, we both, we both walked out of there thoroughly entertained, uh, happy, um, and ready for more and, and hoping that they don't screw it up. Um, were there problems? I'm sure. I mean, yeah. But it's kind of like I think we were conditioned with the, the prequels, you know, to to maybe not get our hopes up too high. Or at least I was. I understand the Internet and, you know, Star Wars uh, fandom out there. You can't tell them that, you know, like to sort of like um, – uh, temper their expectations somewhat but uh i had so i went into it you know pretty middle of the road and came out very happy and uh um and i'm looking forward to talking about the other uh films in the next couple of shows we're going to do here uh the uh, the other films of the year that um the oscars decided to select for us the 
So that's going to be a lot of fun because uh, having seen nearly all of them now, I can say that uh, it's a it's a good it's a good bunch this year. It's um yeah. some provocative stuff. Yeah, I think uh, one of the reasons we chose these two movies today, I think, is was to save some of the Oscars movies, right? Because <laughs> exactly. neither one of these was uh, was nominated for Best Picture, right? So. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. Um, should we tell the audience what we're planning? Definitely. Go for it. So the plan is is to um, have a mini episode for each of the Oscar nominated best best picture nominated movies. So um, we'll do a short kind of mini episode for, you know, The Revenant and uh, uh, Bridge of Spies or whatever uh, and, and for all eight of them. And then closer to Oscars time, we'll do a we'll do an Oscars like full on episode, so that you'll get a bunch of stuff. And if you if you subscribe on iTunes, you're going to see a whole bunch of episodes pop up probably within a short amount of time from each other, and that'll be us trying to treat everyone. And if we want to, uh, we can even do some of the non best picture ones, some of the best actor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but at least the best picture ones, and that's eight. So there'll be eight separate mini episodes uh, in store for you guys to. Uh, you know, to see what we think about these things. Our own little Oscar Palooza. So it'll yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. And as of this recording, we haven't recorded any of those yet. So it should be interesting. And this is a weird reversal because usually I'm way ahead of you guys on a lot of these things. And Nick is way ahead. Yeah. yeah I don't know what cooking. that's all about. It just turned out that way. I think I've seen four of them out of eight. And I think. Nick, you're probably at seven by now. Seven, yep. yep. That's pretty good. Yeah. I just saw the fourth one just the other day. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that'll that be fun. That'll be exciting. And then we'll do, a, like I said, a, an actual Oscars episode as well. So that should be that should be fun. And we're hoping that those will also be timeless. It won't just be, oh, this should win or that should win no, or whatever. No, we'll, we'll definitely, do. yeah. There's, um, there's a lot we'll to some... say about these films. It's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll do some actual analysis to make it more. I mean, it'll be more evergreen than just just like the race to the Oscars. Well, it's, we'll it's say just, something more than "Hey, it's great, liked it." Yeah, it was great. <laughs> great Gatsby, yeah. it was great. Four hundred <laughs> blows, it blowed. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, um, yeah, and we'll probably be more critical and analytic than we have been for Star Wars too, as right. well. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see past our own fandom sometimes, and you know, I think I think we're allowed to do that. Why not? What's so, the yeah, one? yeah. So I'm looking forward to that to do. So look for that in the feed um, in um, the in first couple, maybe the second week of February, I guess. Um, when's the, the Oscars are at the end of February? Yes, they right? are. Yeah, so somewhere throughout February, you'll see these little mini episodes drop in between the the major episodes, and it'll be great. You know, if you uh, if you want to support our efforts in this, you can uh, you can go to patreon.com and uh, find us on on there and submit a few a few bucks per episode if you want, just to help us cover production costs and stuff. Uh, you can find the link to Patreon on our uh, site at that's a wrap show.com. There's a link to Patreon because if you shop on Amazon, um, which who doesn't shop on Amazon. Uh, if you go to our that's wrap show.com and click on the Amazon link, uh, we get a little kickback from whatever you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. It's just a little affiliate link, uh, to show us some love on that. So, uh, we, we, we would do appreciate it because with this, uh, 
podcast takes a lot of time and effort and it costs a little bit of money also. <laughs> so we'd like to defray some of those costs. Right on. So cool. Well, okay. Oak. Well, yeah, that was awesome. I enjoyed this that. This was a good was uh, fun. first episode of the year. Cut. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.